Blog Talk Radio. to raise the question, what is it that we're going to do independent of white people? It is very, very hard for us to envision a world without white people. But we cannot create our own agenda until and unless we can define an agenda that can envision a world in which they don't exist. Now we have to wake up and come back to the reality of them. But certainly when we talk about a future, we have to talk about a future from our point of view and our historical understanding of reality. Etepu, Indamana, Indamanesh, Nangadeth, Majwo, Habargani, Salbona, Anisogoma, Peace, War, Pan-African Greetings Family, this is Kamal Mukasey Tahuti. And you have entered Africa's reascension. As we usually do, we will start off this show with the apai or the libation, which is a traditional African ritual in which we deliberately call upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirits, and use and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. Ago, 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 Adumakuma, Inyame, Inyame Wa, Treaty Upon, Olorun, Amen, Amen Ra, Ingai, Quoth, in Kulukulu, Bejiansa, Asasiansa, Abasunansa, Abasun Poansa, Nanasurjibiansa, Nanasiketuansa, Nanakofiansa, Nanatigre, 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 Nanakumiansa, Nanakumiansa, Kwekufriansa, Akonade Abenansa, Asubontinansa, Ocherewansa, Tamensansa, Oya insa, Oshun insa, Jehuti insa. Shango, Shango, Shango insa. Nananom insamanfo insa. Insamanfo abasuofao insa. Abasum, abasuofao insa. Yeshremo yansa. Yeshremo ahoden. Yeshremo and Cher. Yeshremo Sikapa. Yeshremo and Kwasu. Yeshremo and Kwasu Abasuofa. Ye and Kwasu. I ask that you, Odumakuman, and Yame, and Yamewa, Treaty of Poem, Olorun, Ngai, Namwen, Nkulukulu, Use me and this form to impart clarity and cultural consistency to all from the sound of my voice. May I speak directly to their soon soon, their spirit, 
and awaken the long, dormant, and asleep African inside. Medasipa, Medasibio, Mo Piafo, Mo Ne Casa, Medasi Nanano, Yo Medasi Nanano. The Apae libation is an ancient practice that is still done to this day in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent. Past, present, and future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday. Again, I'd like to welcome everyone in the chat and on the phone to Africa's Reascension. I'm Kamal McCasey Tahuti. Tonight, we will uh, hopefully, depending on any calls or whatnot, uh, finish up our, what I'm basically calling the Resistance Lecture Series. Um, Tonight, we'll be going through, um, well, let me read the description. Um, Maroon Societies by Richard Price will be the book of choice tonight to share resistance in the United States. Maroons, as Caucasoids have labeled us, were stolen Africans who chose to run away from the plantation system and recreate autonomous African-based societies wherever they were. Some were more successful than others. Excuse me. Some were more successful than others, but the entire aspect of maroonage has deliberately been left out of our history books, and this aspect of resistance can only properly be told by us. Um, so yeah, so <clears throat> the Maroon Society's book is one of the books that's um, on my front page. So if you aren't familiar with it, uh, click it and then go ahead and buy it through that click that'll help me out. Um, you want to get this book in your library. Um, like I said, well, while we'll only be focusing on the United States tonight, it goes the, the uh, subtitle is Rebel Slave Communities in the Americas. So what Richard Price has done is basically pulled together um, survey information from newspapers, court documents, other things like that, in the quote-unquote Spanish America. So we got Cuba, um, Colombia, the quote-unquote French Caribbean. Um, then there's a piece in there about the United States, which we'll be reading tonight. Um, of course, Brazil, Jamaica, and the Guyanas. So um, about a... 440-page book. It's good information, uh, again, to know about how we resisted wherever the enslavement ships dropped us off at. And there'll be a good quote in the introduction. I'll get to that shortly. Um, it deals with we got to have this resistance information to, again, counter the more popular um, enslavement narratives that we just docilely, you know, went into enslavement. No, we fought (laughs) on all fronts. And the whole purpose of this um, African Enslavement Resistance Lecture Series um, was to show that we fought from the continent, on the ships, and then wherever the ships dropped us off at, we fought. And sometimes we ran away and created autonomous societies, Sometimes we fought on the plantation, um, but resistance 
is a key and deliberately left out part of the entire the entire enslavement narrative. And so the purpose of this was to bring that to the fore, um, giving folks books and references and other things like that so you can build up your own library and your own knowledge base, not only to fight that grand lie, but then just so you can know the information and pass it on to um, other folks of like minds, other folks of non-like minds, and more importantly to your children. The legacy of resistance to European reality. The legacy of resistance to European reality should be very prominent in all children who are growing up, period, for for all African children who are growing up, period. They do not need to be inculcated with the highest level of achievement the highest thing that you should be attaining to aspire to is the President of the United States of America. Fuck that. Besides being kings and queens, we ran nations. We ran nations larger than the United States. We ran nations for longer than the existence of the United States. When invaders came, we fought and won sometimes. And when they overwhelmed us, we fought on all levels to regain our autonomy, our sovereignty, and our freedom. And that is the story that our African youth need to be inculcated with. This Obama misnomer is not something to aspire towards. Our highest level of achievement should not be to be the chief commander of the largest slave plantation on the world. Our legacy is to lead our nation, our continent, in our way with the backing of our gods, our spirit forces, and our ancestors, and then moving the world to deal with us and the rest of humanity fairly and justly. That's the legacy that Africa's reascension is trying to create, not being CEOs of someone else's reality. We have a reality. It's time that we relearn it, repractice it, reuse it for the future. So a few quick notes, and then we'll um, have a break and then move into the talk. Um, Africa's, I've never mentioned this before, and and I've been slipping. Africa's Reascension does have a YouTube page, um, a YouTube channel, I should say. Um, Just Africa's, Africa with a K, Africa's Reascension, all one word. We have a YouTube page. um, Holipsism has been gracious enough to um, take 10 to 15 minutes of some of the talks and put them in a YouTube format so 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 people can get snippets of some of my shows 
and then move forward, um, hopefully, and then come in the blog talk and get in the whole show and listen to it. I've endeavored and done some of that. I need to get back into that with some of the more recent shows, especially this um, Resistance Lecture Series. Um, but I've also favorited a lot of good, excuse me, a lot of good YouTube videos that are out there. And the most recent one that I came across that I want to share with everyone is um, every year out in Philadelphia they have a Shankon Joke conference. And this past one, um, uh, our, our, our best female scholar, period, and one of our best scholars, period, Dr. Marimba Hani was uh, one of the keynote speakers there, and she gave a presentation on uh, the legacy of Shankar Tijok and what he meant to her. And 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 it's on my page, and you want to go check it out. It's about eh, an hour long. There's uh, I think eight or nine videos there, about ten minutes long. Whoever originally did it did not get the last ten minutes, and that sort of sucks. <laughs> last ten twenty minutes, but. What what is there is phenomenal. If you've never heard Dr. Ani speak, you need to check that out. Um, she has there are a few good video clips, uh, lectures of hers up there. Her entire um, Urugu series is up, 19 um, episodes of that, where she's going through the intro, chapter one and chapter two of her masterpiece Urugu. Um, someone put up there how to, her, her lecture on how to be an African woman. That is totally magnificent, phenomenal. Uh, get as much video and audio of Dr. Marimbani that you can. She is top-notch scholar, top-notch African. Um, she's 100% against this Obamination that's, that's been going on. She was even in the Harlem debates on the against side sister is bad, just period. So check out her, what she had to say about um, Dr. Joe on Africa's Reascension YouTube page. Um, also following up from last week and dealing with African Uprising and Daniel Rasmussen, he's doing a nationwide tour and um, DanielRasmussen.net, D-A-N-I-E-L-R-U-S-M-U-S-S-E-N.net, um, he's got a bio and intro dealing with the book, but more importantly, he's got um, his um, tour on there, and he'll be coming to New York pretty soon. I think he'll be going out on the West Coast pretty soon, um, so you want to check that out, um, hear him speak about the um, largest um, enslaved African revolt in the United States that had not been told fully um, outside of New Orleans until his book came out that we featured last week. Um, also, on the same vein, 1811slaverevolt.com, that um, is a good website. A team of folks in Florida put that together. Uh, got some pictures, some more information, um, a lot of documentation on the names of the people who were involved. Uh, so we really need to know about that um, uprising, that revolt, and so that's a good resource to go to as well. Um, now I want to move to a bit of disturbing news, <laughs> and I'm going to put this. I'm going to put the link in the chat room. 
Right. Now, paste. There we go. It's so disturbing that I had to talk about it. It's it's stupid, um, self-hate personified. um, And so I just wanted to share it with everyone let you know, don't do it. Um, Reggae artist vibes cartel. So I guess if you just Google V-Y-B-Z, that's the first artist name, V-Y-B-Z vibes, Cartel with a K, K A R T E L, then you'll get the link to this story for everyone who's listening and who'll uh, listen on the archive. So, reggae artist Vibes Cartel. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting this. What I'm about to read is coming from um, the News One website, newsone.com, part of their um, entertainment section, uh, which is a part of the Black Planet Universe. Reggae artist Vibes Cartel hates himself, but it's not his fault. The dance hall musician lightened his skin and has experienced a backlash from fans who are appalled by his physical changes. In a recent interview, Cartel links blacks who lighten their skin to whites who tan. This is my new image, Cartel said in the interview. You can expect the unexpected. I feel comfortable with black people lightening their skin. They want a different look. It's tantamount to white people getting a suntan. Cartel is endorsing his own brand of cake soap and claims that the soap lightens his skin. However, Bounty Killer countered by saying that his mother has used cake soap and it has yet to bleach her skin. Bounty Hunter believes that Cartel is using something stronger to lighten his skin. And when they and they provide a picture, they provide like a for and after picture. Um, the brothers about my complexion are a little bit darker, and then he lightened his skin, and then the picture to the right, he looks like you know uh, light skinned brother. He uh, fully bleached his skin, and and I, I when I saw this, I was like, Are you freaking kidding me? This is so. <laughs> Absolutely freaking insane. I don't know what it is. Um, bleaching your skin actually kills the melanocyte, so I don't think it goes back. Versus tanning, if you don't keep the tanning up, you're going to turn back white like you were. Uh, both of them kill and damage the skin. Um, and we, as, as as stolen Africans, have such a long history of being denigrated for our skin color, our skin complexion. I always say, I don't know if I came up with this or I got it from somewhere else. The problem is not the color of my skin. The problem is white caucasoids and other people's perception about the color of my skin. But unfortunately, too many people don't have that understanding, and they really think their skin is their sin, so therefore they have to bleach and lighten their skin. And so it'll be interesting, because I've seen folks who have bleached the skin, and then a few years later, then blotch, red, horrible blotches come up on their skin, and they can't do shit about it. So I'd really like to see if this Bob's Cartel knucklehead from Jamaica um, will... Um, 
have some more photos of him in the next few years to see if and when these blotches start forming um, and um, we can see the asinine <laughs> who asinine um, practice of this um, skin lightening condition which is major in Africa right now, which is a damn shame. And as we see now, it's also um, in Jamaica. It probably has been for a while, but since he's a reggae artist, it got um, some major play. Um, wow. I want to thank you, um, Aziz Shabazz, for that link. Um, yeah, I know Kamathi personally. And so, um, I'm sorry, um, listening audience. Um Someone in the chat just sent a link from um, C-SPAN dealing with Maroonage back in September. Um, Professor Greg Kamathi Carr, chair of the Department of um, Afro-American Studies, presented a class lecture on slavery in the U.S. in the international context. He focused on um, Maroonage. In parentheses, they have flight from owners, followed by banding together to establish independent communities um, in remote areas. And that's about an hour and 14 minutes. And and if if I know Kamathi, that's that's his African name. Uh, <laughs> like I know Kamathi, he brought he brought it like it should be brought in, like they say. So I want to I really thank you, Aziz, for sharing that. And after this show, I will definitely uh, be checking it out and copying it and sharing it with a lot of other people. So thank you, thank you for that. I didn't know he did that. Uh, so yeah, this this maroonage, this resistance piece, we gotta get it out there, and we gotta know about it. Um, lastly, before we go to a quick break and head into the discussion, um, I think I saw it right. February sixth, the first Sunday in February. Let me check. Yep, will be the first show on Blog Talk with their new rules. So next week's show will be the last time that um, Africa's Reascension will probably be um, two hours, an hour on the computer and then an hour if you call in and listen. Um, And for a whole bunch of your great blog talk shows who aren't paying for it, we all assumedly are getting reduced to um, just 30 minutes and only three um, audio upload files. And so that part specifically is going to suck because, as you know, I have an open and I have a closing, so then I'll have to decide if I just want to do a promo or just one thing of music. I don't know. That's really going to suck. Um, and then the time constraints, you know, this hour, hour and a half, two hours is short enough. And I don't know if it's going to be just 30 minutes and then everything drops off. Or if it's 30 minutes, you can hear it on the computer, and then 30 minutes or an hour if you call in on the phone. I don't know. We'll all find that out on February 6th. So, uh, again, I want to thank everyone who's listening now and who will download it. And um, next week I'll try to make it a real good show. <laughs> that will be the last show um, in this, quote, unquote, two-hour format. And we will continue on Blog Talk with the 30-minute, possibly an hour format, but I just want to let everyone know February 6th will be the first um, for, 
show in a new format of just at least 30 minutes here for folks on the computer and on the phone, and then possibly maybe another 30 minutes um, if you call in, and that number is 760-454-1111. So with that, we'll play a promo and then some music, and then we will get into the topic. We'll be reading from Maroon Societies, and we'll focus on um, some of the different resistance that we did within the United Snakes of America. Peace and divine love, family. Do you want to critically analyze African culture from an intellectual, honest, and practical perspective? Are you tired of all the distractions, self-righteousness, yelling and arguing with no plan or solution? Do you want to build on the facts and deal with the subject or issue at hand? Well, come and listen to our nation's ambassador, Asar, make knowledge born every 9th and 19th of each month at 9 p.m. That's every 9th and 19th of each month at 9 p.m. on the show everyone is talking about, African Holistic Healing, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash ambassador Asar. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash ambassador Asar spelled A-U-S-A-R or call in live to build or ask questions at 347-850-8653 that's 347-850-8653 peace welcome to the desert of the real peace family this is your brother Hollip a.k.a. Mr. Holipsis a.k.a. The Buzz Killer. Tune in to Holipsism's Haven every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where we discuss the social, economic, and political issues of the day with a common-sense approach, an African-centered perspective, and a universal sensibility. Call in number 347-843-4874. That's 347-843-4874. Check out related YouTube videos, blogs, and show archives. Visit www.holipsism.com. That's www.holipsism.com. I'm making it hard to get your Negro on. Hotep, Black Power. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. killed my great-great-grandfather and your white-great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied and robbed my father what kind of a fool would I have to be to say come my friend to the white daughter and son We should always begin with the African worldview, with the African asili, as it were, the asili, the cultural seed, the essence of the culture, because that is our grounding. That is our frame of reference. And without an understanding of the African worldview, we really cannot um, critique 
European thought and European behavior effectively. We need that foundation that comes from outside of the European worldview. We cannot critique European thought and behavior functioning within their framework. We have to come outside of it. And for us, what comes from our nature um, is our understanding of the world, the way in which we relate to the world, and the seed from which our culture develops. Planted in the truth, and if we dig our roots. 
and and we, like other human beings, uh, innately fought against that to do things to fight against that, and so it didn't. Uh, that, that having that didn't arise um, from us being slaves per se. It arose because we, as Africans, wanted to be free. Um, and so Africans' innate survival and freedom thrust, I think there's a better term than uh, slave consciousness. Um, coming from page six, successful maroon communities learn quickly to turn the harshness of their immediate surroundings to their own advantage for purposes of concealment and defense. Paths leading to the village were carefully disguised, and much use was made of false trails replete with dangerous booby traps. In the Guyanas, villages set in swamps were approachable only by an underwater path, with other false paths carefully mined with pointed spikes or leading only to fatal quagmires or quicksand. In many regions, man traps and even dog traps were used extensively in village defenses, and the villages themselves were often surrounded by a strong palisade, um, or, or not fortress, but environmental areas where the entrance and egress, you know, could be could be seen by folks easily. And then he goes through a, an example of how. Um, Folks, the, the, the leeward maroons, as they're called, of Jamaica, how they use um, their environment. Then he, again, talks about the Saramaka or Samaka people in Suriname, how they use their, how they use the um, environment for themselves. Coming from page 8, since it was imperative to maximize the effect of what little power the Maroons possessed, early Maroon survival depended heavily on such general tactics. Many bands had only a few usable firearms, and the shortage of ammunition sometimes led to the use of buttons, coins, and pebbles instead of shot. In many areas, Maroons used bows and arrows extensively as weapons, as well as handmade spears and um, Amera Indian war clubs, and in some cases, cricket sticks shaped something like a musket to frighten the whites by their apparent force in arms. Uh, then there were times, you know, where we did get a hold of guns and, and used <laughs> used them, as we shared last week. Um, with the folks in New Orleans. And so I just wanted to share a little bit from the intro to to show that again this this maroon maroonage happened wherever we were stolen and put down it. Now this little breakdown He's on page 24, because of certain considerations, the frequency of maroonage differed significantly among different types of slaves or enslaved Africans. Uh, he says, first, the least acculturated slaves 
were among those most prone to maroonage, often escaping within their very first hours or days on American soil, and often doing so in groups, sometimes in a vain attempt to find their way back to Africa. So he's making a distinction here, the least acculturated, us who were freshly off the boat. You see, we don't get that. We don't hear that. (laughs) But, But those of us who were freshly off the boat, within hours or days, we were trying to escape these motherfuckers. Now, this part, again, more more information would have to be um, brought out with this, but he said, second, native-born Africans who had spent some time in the quote-unquote new world were not particularly prone to flight, and when they did run off, it was most often temporary in what they call petite, or I guess less lesser maroonage, who had spent some time here, so who had been a little bit more acculturated. Um, And then he says, finally, an unusually high proportion of Creoles and highly acculturated African-born slaves ran off, though it was less often to maroon communities than to urban areas where their independent skills and relative ease in speaking the colonial language often allowed them to masquerade as free men. So that's Interesting. The typical early maroon community was thus composed of Africans who were often literally just off the ships, unskilled plantation slaves born in Africa. I had question unskilled. But those who had lived for years in the Americas and who, because of their numeric preponderance in the colonial slave populations, made up a bulk of much maroon communities, and some Creoles and highly acculturated Africans. Um, Then he goes on. We we will continue on with that. So, yeah, again, we don't get that. We just, we got off the boats and and we just happily went into slavery. But no, that's not how it happened. So let me just jump here to the United States. Uh, Basically, we'll be going from page 148. And as much as I can get in to about 165. Now, what I'm about to bring up, I had came across this information long, long time ago, back when I was in school in San Diego. And I remember asking to a few teachers, and no one ever really gave me a, a, a um, good answer. And then only recently did I get a quote-unquote good answer but it's a good answer based on the perspective that you're looking at it with. It's a good answer if you only focus on enslaved Africans being brought to America and and you just want to focus on the American experience. It'll be a good answer. It's a bad answer if you understand that we are Africans and that this enslavement started at least in the Caucasoid era in the 1440s when the Portuguese came and did they should. And so it's it's a bad answer in that. So let me read the quote, and then I'll, I'll share the answers that I got. <clears throat> As in so many colonies, 
among the very first group of enslaved Africans that he says slave, but enslaved Africans to be landed in what is now the United States were the first Maroons to be. And here's here's the quote from Aptecker. A Spanish colonizer, Lucas Vasquez de Allion, founded in the summer of 1526, catch that number now, 1526, he founded a community whose probable location was at or near the mouth of the um, Petty River in what's now South Carolina. The settlement consisted of about 500 Spaniards and about 100 Negro slaves, 100 enslaved Africans. Trouble soon beset it. Illness caused numerous deaths, carrying off in October um, the Spanish colonizer himself. Internal dissensions arose, and the Indians grew increasingly suspicious and hostile. Finally, probably in November, several of the quote unquote enslaved several of the enslaved Africans rebelled and fled to the Indians or fled with the Indians. The next month what was left of the adventurers, some one hundred and fifty souls returned to Haiti, leaving the rebel Negroes with their Indian friends as the first permanent of inhabitants other than the Indians and what was to be the United States. So basically, what this what that quote is saying is that in 1526, stolen Africans were brought to the United States. We in South Carolina, we rebelled, hooked up with the quote unquote Native Americans, and left that plantation system. 1526. Now, we get beat over the damn head with 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia, the first 16 enslaved Africans that was brought to the United States, blah, 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 blah. So when I, was, when I found out about this information in 1526, I was asking some of my teachers. The answer that they came up with was that 1526 is not significant in the first stolen Africans brought to the U.S because that was Spain doing it, and the U.S. was eventually colonized by the British. And so since the U.S. was a British colony at that time, they brought the folks in, they brought the folks in 1619, and that's why American history focuses on 1619 Jamestown, Virginia, instead of 1526 South Carolina. So now... You see what I'm saying? I hope, did, did anyone catch that? We focus on 1619 if we just want to talk about the first, the, 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 if we want to use the perspective of white history. White history says that America was colonized by the British, so therefore the only important enslaved Africans that were brought here was 1619. So if you follow that train of thought, 1619 was the first enslaved African. If, however, you're coming from an African perspective and you want to know when stolen Africans first arrived here, then you would go to the 1526 number. The other important piece, and I think this gets more at the heart of the issue, 
the 20 folks that was brought here in 1619 didn't rebel, didn't fight back as far as we know. They, you know, their numbers were too small and they, you know, went along. They, they, they were forced to go along with what was happening. And so they can then say, you know, y'all came from these first 20 that were brought into slavery and they didn't fight back. And so that's the psychological legacy that we want to leave, imprint you with, with slavery. They cannot use the 1526 number because those enslaved Africans rebelled and left the fucking plantation, hooked up with the Indians and created a maroon society. So psychologically, they would not want to start you off with that type of mental legacy, that when you first got here, you fought back and you won your freedom and you hooked up with other Native people here and left the enslavement system. You, you, you can't be, that image can't be put in your head, the fighting back, winning, and getting your freedom. No, 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 no. So that's why this 1526 reference is hardly mentioned in the history books. It's in Wikipedia, but just like as a passing note, um, um, they, they, they don't want to have that image in our head. They want to have the image of the 20 folks that, that, that went along, and, and, and that's how it started. And so really that's why I'm always pressing the perspective that folks come with when looking at history because both of them are right based on the, the perspective. The European perspective is right. The U.S. was a British colony, and so they brought the, the the first group over, and so you focus on 1619. Also, semicolon, the African perspective, the African-centered perspective is correct because in 1526 was when we were brought here, but we rebelled, hooked up with, with other natives here, and left the enslavement system, so... For everybody within the sound of my voice, we need to be coming from our African mind and, and, and looking at everything and dealing with everything that we do and and, and in very rare cases uh, listen and trust white folks and never trust their perspective. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's how he starts off Chapter 3. And then the majority of Chapter 3 is basically, with permission, he reprinted the um, survey information um, from Herbert Abdecker. He did a piece um, in the Journal of Negro History in 39, and then, you know, he expanded it into um, a small book. But basically, Abdecker, in survey form, and then why I'm emphasizing survey form is he does, is not meant to go into detail. It's just meant to he used the reference, he saw Marunich happening, and he listed it. It will be up to us to use Richard Price and use Appdecker's survey intro to the information to dig to then dig deeper into the experiences and see what we can take out of it and possibly use for present day. Um, so Abdecker shares, um, this is, again, 151, evidence of the existence of at least 50 such maroon communities in various places and at various times from 1672 to 1864. The mountainous, forested, or swampy regions 
of South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, and he lists those in order of importance. So, so uh, South Carolina and Virginia were very, I mean, you know, when you read the history, the correct history books, those two particular colonies are fighting as far as one and two as far as the most horrific colonies to be at. Now, I ain't saying that enslavement was a little bit better here, a little bit worse here, but in in large accounts from, from South Carolina and Virginia, those two places seem to have been the most horrific and the most just ass backwards and the, just the most anti-African um, colonies um, that were in existence for us. But he lists a whole bunch of places, you know, Again, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama. Um, the most noted of, uh, of such communities was were those located in the dismal swamps between Virginia and North Carolina. Um, it seemed likely that about 2,000 Negroes, fugitives or descendants of fugitives, lived in this area. They carried on a regular, if illegal, trade with white people living on the borders of the swamp. Such settlements may have been more numerous than available evidence would indicate, for their occupants aroused less excitement and less resistance, less resentment, excuse me, than the um, guerrilla outlaws. And so he mentions and he goes through that there were some rural communities who after they got their freedom, they set up camp and lived settled lives. And 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 they were about, you know, living their lives as best they could. They would have a few raiding expeditions or certain plantations just to get the bare necessities so they could continue to subsist. So you have that group of maroon communities, but you also have maroon communities who were all about uh, upsetting the 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 balance the imbalance of injustice of the uh, European slavery system, and they were going on constant raidings and burning down plantations and killing Caucasoids, um, and, and freeing other enslaved Africans to come to them. And so it seems like those were the ones that got more notoriety. Those were some of the ones that got more written up about. And so, again, we have to do this research. Who were some of those more quiet, if you will, um, maroon societies? How long did they exist? Who were the people that put them together? How were they put together? We need more information about that, and it's got to come from us. Even with the book that I talked about last week, um, uh, American Uprising, um, me and a few other folks who've read it and commented on it, we still quibble about his constant use of the word slave versus enslaved African. That That's a monumental difference um, psychologically and um, skill-wise and um, based on what they brought to the table. Um, but, again, we didn't write the book, so instead of us doing the primary research and then putting out the information, we have to get the information from secondary source and then put an African-centered covering on it, if you will, or an African lens, look at it through an African lens. While that is useful and that's what we've been doing for the past uh, 40, 50 years, 
trumpeting the horn of um, Professor Menu and Pim, we have to be about primary research as well. We have to. We have to be able to tell our stories correctly. <clears throat> so, yeah, so even in Appdecker's accounts, I mean, again, it's a survey, so he's just sharing what what the report said, what the manuscript, what the newspaper said, uh, and, and leaving it at that. But again, if we were doing it, you know, we would use different wordings and stuff. The activities um, coming from 152, the activities of Maroons in Virginia in 1672 approached a point of rebellion so much so that a law was passed urging and rewarding the hunting down and killing of these quote-unquote outlaws. Um, the account says these Negroes not only took cattle and hogs, but but what was more important, they had recently stolen two guns, a carbine, and other things. Um, and again, he this is a survey, so he goes in, he lists where he got it from, he mentions it, and then he moves on. And so I'm going to read a few of these. We only got two minutes here on the computer. And then I'm going to continue until either my voice gives out or we run out of information. So for folks who are listening on the computer, you still want to listen in and be a part of this, 760-454-1111. 760-454-1111 is the call-in number. So, yeah, I'm going to stop right now and continue on after um, everyone who wants to continue listening on the phone. Again, I want to thank um, Aziz Shabazz for that C-SPAN link. I'm going to definitely check it out, see what um, Brother Kamati Carr had to say about Marunich. Um, and so I guess you could just go to cspanvideo.org and type in Greg Carr, G-R-E-G, um, last name C-A-R-R, and um, check it out yourself. If you're in the chat room, the link is here. Um, next week, it's going to be a good show, probably be a um, summary of the Resistance Lecture Series and then some other good stuff, so please check it out. Um, and like we usually do, this portion, Abibi Fahodier, Total African Liberation, and Yebedi um, Inconel. That's true also, for we will be victorious. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work and they will lose their control. One day in the shorter format, I'm going to do a whole 30 minutes or however long they give me just on that quote. That When I first heard that quote, 
I had to stop the video and I was listening to it and replay it like five, six times. And it's been, you know, about five years now since I first heard it. And, you know, I, it still resonates with me to this day. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept, accept a concept of reality which makes them Caucasoid superior. You have to accept that. And then she says, if you deny that, if you deny that, they, they, they will lose their control over you. If you deny their concept of reality, if you deny their truth and then act on your own concept of reality and your own concept of truth as, as a cultural group, as us African people, they will lose their control over us. And and that is just so monumental, and, I, and and we don't get that. We really don't get that. And that especially ties in with what we've been talking about, this whole resistance lecture series. They denied it. They denied that they had to stop being African and be dark-skinned European. They slash we denied that we were going to be treated less than human beings. They denied it in every step of the way. We deny that European reality in every single essence of the enslavement. And and, and and do we deny it today? I think those of us that listen to Ambassador Shah's show, most of us deny it. I think, you know, those who listen to the whole lip show deny it. I like to hope that folks that listen to my show, we deny this European reality, quote unquote reality, and, and we are about um, re-Africanizing. We are about making sense of ancient and traditional Africa, making it real for us in present day, and then moving forward in that reality. And, and, and that's what this is about. It, it, it's fuck a protest, fuck a march, fuck a vote. Fuck a president of the United States. That's not what this is about. Dr. Clark told us the one main thing that his research showed that we lost was the concept of nation nation management. We have forgotten how to run our own affairs. We have forgotten how to run nations. And so that's why in, in, in my promo I talk about I want to cre- I want us to create nations in the future that's going to make Kemet look small. Right now, Kemet is the end-all, be-all of all African civilization. I want my children and the children, 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 children to create societies that while we will talk about Kemet and what they did of that time, but what they will be producing We'll make Kemet look like a footnote in our history. We will always remember it and we'll always talk about it and, you know, prop it up for what it is. But as of right now, that's our height. I have the vision that our future, 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 future children will be able to create societies that will trump Kemet, that will be grander than Kemet. And that's where our vision needs to be. And these maroon societies that I feel some of us are probably descendants of, that's why 
We know not to listen to our folks. We know we 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 felt that 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 the, either the Jesus thing didn't fit with us, or we felt that the Democrat or Republican thing didn't fit with us, or we felt that dating outside the 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 the, the, the culture didn't fit. We felt something. We felt a pull, and we really didn't have you know all of the information behind it. it, 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 it the spirit just said. No, don't go down that path. And, and and something happened, and somebody was put in your path, and some book was put in your path, some flyer about a lecture was put in your path, and they was talking about this Africa thing. And you read that book, you listened to that person, you went to that lecture, and stuff started clicking. Stuff really started making sense then. And you was like, wow, I'm not crazy. There are other people that think like this, too. There are other people that are living like this. Let me be a part of this. Let me see where I can fit in. Let me see how I can help other people get the hell out of this European madness. And that's why you listen to my show. That's why you listen to Hold Up. That's why you listen to Queenie Farm. That's why you listen to uh, uh, Ambassador Asar. That's why you listen to Amachi. You felt that pull. You found other people that were saying the same thing. You found people that were saying things beyond where you were thinking about. You was like, oh, shit. You came across Dr. Clark's books. You came across Dr. Ben, Dr. Joe, Marimba Ani, Kobe Cambon. Um, you was like, wow. There's scholarship behind this. It's not just one person, you know, because you got, we got folks that's just this, Egomaniacal, and it's just one person. Follow me and what I'm saying. But but if you're dealing with this this larger African-centered piece, you see that there's scholarship behind it, and that there are thousands <laughs> thousands of people saying this. So you're not crazy, and you're not following one person's revelation or one mad person's, you know. Ego trip. You're finding other people who are following the ancestors. You're following probably other descendants of these maroon communities who decided that I'm not going to be a slave. Fuck you, cracker. <laughs> I'm going to recreate what I know to be true to myself and my spirit, even here on this foreign soil. Still coming from page 152. Uh, in June 1711, the inhabitants of the colony of South Carolina were kept in great fear and terror by the activities of several Negroes who kept out, I don't know what that means, armed and robbing and plundering houses and plantations. Uh, these men were led by a slave named Sebastian, who unfortunately, he doesn't say that, but he's just, the account says finally, but I say unfortunately, was tracked down and killed by an Indian hunter. And see, that's one thing, and, and I did actually get a book that talks about it, and I haven't read it because there's so much shit on my plate, but that's something that I did not know um, until that book that I'm looking to see if I can get the title for it and I can't immediately see it. But we shared it last week that Europeans pay quote unquote some, some 
some, paid some Native Americans to help track us down. So, see, we, we, again, th- 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 there's so much information out there. We do have history, like like we just said, in 1526 you had some, quote, unquote, Native Americans who um, had their autonomy, and, and we rebelled and hooked up with them in South Carolina and moved on, and, you know, they led autonomous lives. But obviously there's some information that also shows that there were Native, quote, unquote, Native Americans on the payroll to help hunt us down for the purposes of Caucasus. And there there was a whole book that was done about that that I got a hold of, and I apologize. I do not see it right now to at least share the title. Ah, stuff's in the way. I didn't. That just came to me. That's why I don't have it handy. But um, but just that history, you know, we need to know that too. Um, some fought back. Some, I mean, that's. Again, we we have to do our history properly and correctly, and I think we get um, real. What word am I looking for? We want to make our history sacrosanct. We want to make our history just all romanticized. There we go. That's the better word. We want to make our history all romanticized. No. You had maroon communities that seceded. You had maroon communities that tried to hook up and create treaties with crackers, and they failed. <laughs> you 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 had enslaved Africans who fought every step of the way to fight against resistance, and you had Africans who eventually became enslaved Africans, dumbasses, who helped sell us into um, enslavement. And so, I, I, I my growth in this within the Pan African Association out in San Diego really helped me look at we have to understand the totality of our history, not romanticize it. And and don't do the skip gates and fully demonize it. Just focus on those that helped enslave us. We got to know both sides. Um, one, so we can have the victory aspect, and two, so we can avoid the mistakes. But but there's too many of us that just want to focus on the good side and not properly look at the bad side. So then we can have the full picture and then move forward. Uh, and also with the Native Americans. Or Indian peace um, You got some folks want to jump up and down And claim you know their Native American Ancestry partly because they hate Being African but I don't think They've done the full history there's You know a lot of documentation that talks About some of those who helped Helped Caucasoids in general Canvass the land and be against Their own um, people um, Oh and, and, and It escapes me again um, Tom Tom like we 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 call folks Uncle Toms within the Native American communities. They call some of their sellouts Tom Toms. <laughs> um, so they got names for sellouts just like we got names for our sellouts. Um, and then you had again, quote unquote, Native Americans that helped us rebel against the society, against the unjust European society, as well as others that helped bring us back into the fold, if you will. Um, so we got to know all our history. In September 1733, the governor of South Carolina offered a reward of, I guess, 20 francs alive and 10 francs dead. I'm not sure what the terminology. I don't know the. Yeah, for several runaway Negroes 
who are near the congresses and have robbed several of the inhabitants thereabouts. Um, the Nachi, N-O-T-C-H-E-E Indians, offered in April of 1744 to aid the government of South Carolina in maintaining the subordination of its slave population. Um, three months later, in July, um, the governor applied for the assistance of some of the Nachi or Nochi Indians in order to apprehend some runaway Negroes who had sheltered themselves in the woods and being armed had committed disorders, quote-unquote disorders. Um, he shares um, the number of runaways in South Carolina in 1765 was exceedingly large. This led to fears of a general rebellion, at least one considerable camp of Maroons was, unfortunately, I'm putting that in there, destroyed that year by military force. Uh, and a letter from Charleston in August told of a battle with a body of Maroons, a numerous collection of outcast mulattoes, musties, and free Negroes. They just had all sorts of words and labels for us. But again, you know, this is, you know, what was going on in South Carolina. We need our people. I'm sure, you know, white folks have done books for dissertations about it, just like the book we read last week, American Uprising in New Orleans. But we need to be doing this research so we can give it, we can vet it through an, an African-centered lens, and then we can link it, again, to the larger System of resistance that we had Governor James Habersham of Georgia Learned in December 1771 That a great number of fugitive Negroes Had committed many robberies and insults Between Savannah and Ebenezer And that their numbers Which were now considerable Might be expected to increase daily Indian hunters, again, and militiamen were employed to blot out this menace. Yet the same danger was present in Georgia in the summer of 1772. Depredations, and that's a big word, I had to look it up for quote-unquote plundering and robbery. Piracy and arson was frequent, and again, the militia saw service. Uh, a letter from Edmund Randolph to James Madison in August of 1782 Discloses um, somewhat similar trouble in Virginia It says at this time it appears that a notorious robber A white man <laughs> had gathered together a group of about 50 men Negro Negro and white and were terrorizing that community But see that's just you know a nice bit of side information Like what was going on there and who, who was the white guy that was helping in Virginia And why would he be helping against them and what you know what Personal agenda did he have Because at that time they wouldn't have been helping us So it must have been You know something more personal Against a different European group That was in the area um, The British had combated The revolutionist siege Of Savannah with the aid of A numerous body of Negro slaves who served under The inspiration of a promised freedom and as we know, a promise freedom never happened. Um, the defeat of the British crushed the hopes of these Negroes 
They fled with their arms, called themselves soldiers of the King of England, and carried on a guerrilla warfare for years across the Savannah River. Militia from Georgia and South Carolina, together with Indian allies, successfully attacked the Negro settlement in May 1786, with resulting heavy casualties. So now that's interesting. So you had a bunch of um, enslaved Africans who had sided with the British in hopes of getting their freedom. After the British got beat down and those hopes were crushed, then they decided to, quote, unquote, be maroons, and then they had all that training and they had, you know, guns, and and they decided to then um, fight against the um, enslavement system. So that's interesting. Um, and the governor at that time, Thomas Pinckney, he referred in his legislative message of 1787 to the serious depredations, or again, robbery, of a group of armed fugitive slaves in the southern part of his state. <laughs> armed fugitive slaves, okay. I mean, on and on and on you hear about you know, and this is just stuff that was reported, stuff that made the papers or made court records or documents or whatever. But who knows how many room communities were in existence that didn't make any, you know, any 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 paper trail, if you will. The existence of maroon camp in the neighborhood of Elizabeth City, North Carolina, in May 1802, is indicated by the fact that the plots and insubordinations uncovered among the servile population at that time was attributed to the agitation of an outlaw Negro named Tom Cooper, who has got a camp in one of those swamps. Um, in May 1811, a runaway community in the swamp of Cabarrus, C-A-B-A-R-R-U-S, County, North Carolina, they unfortunately got them and wiped them out. Um, these Maroons had bid defiance to any force whatsoever and were resolved to stand their ground. Um, in the attack, two Negro women were captured, two Negro men killed, and another wounded. Um, but I like that. They 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 stood their ground. <laughs> they, they fought to the last man and fought to the last woman. And... Um, we we need more of those types of people with that mentality. We got to be able to fight to the bitter end. Because we know Congressoids are fighting to the bitter end. So So while all of us might not get to that mentality, those who don't need to <clears throat> support those that will and let us fight to the bitter end. Another okay. Another major expedition, this is from 156, another major expedition against the Maroon community was carried out in um, 1816. This occurred near Ashepu, A-S-H-E-P-O-O, South Carolina. Governor David R. Williams remarks concerning this in a message in December 1816, and he quotes it. They do the whole thing. 
A few runaway Negroes concealing themselves in the swamps and marshes condigious to Combahee and Ashapu rivers, not having been interrupted in their petty plunderings for a long time, formed the nucleus, round which all the ill-disposed and audacious near them gathered, <laughs> until at length their robberies became too serious to be suffered with impunity. Attempts were then made to disperse them, which either from insufficiency of numbers or bad arrangement served by their failure only to encourage a wanton destruction of property. Their forces now became alarming, not less from its numbers than from its arms and ammunitions, which with it was supplied. The peculiar situation on the whole of that portion of our coast rendered access to them difficult, while the numerous creeks and watercourses through the marshes or across around the island furnished them easy opportunities to plunder, not only the planters in open day, but the inland coasting trade, also without leaving a trace of their movements by which they could be pursued. I therefore ordered Marshal General <laughs> Major General Youngblood to take the necessary measures for suppressing them and authorize him to incur the necessary expenses of such an expedition. This was immediately executed. By judicious employment of the militia under his command, he either captured or destroyed the whole body. That's, that's, at least that's what his account says. So again, that's, that's in South Carolina. There's another one that was in um, the Norfolk Herald, June 29, 1818, referring to serious damage occasioned by a group of some 30 runaway slaves acting together with white men in um, Prince Anne, Princess Anne County, Virginia. Uh, it, it reported to the recent capture of a leader and a quote-unquote old woman member of the outlaws. Uh, in November of that year, maroon activities in Wake County, North Carolina, became serious enough to evoke notice of the local press, which advised the patrol to keep a strict lookout. Later, an attack upon a store by a maroon banditti of Negroes, led by the noted Andy, a.k.a. alias Billy James, better known here by his name, I don't even know how to pronounce that, Abielino, A-B-A-E-L-L-I-N-O. Um, it was repulsed by armed citizens. Um, they killed at least one Caucasoid. The governor at that time had put a $250 reward on the capture of seven specified outlaws and 100 bucks for Billy James alone. There is evidence that in the same year, Maroons were active in Johnston County. In that state, in one expedition against them, um, killed at least one enslaved African. Um, there was Maroons in um, Williamsburg County, South Carolina. Um, another bounty was put on the head of someone in Gates County, North Carolina in 1820. I mean, all over the place. 
<laughs> we were rebelling and revolting and setting up as we as best we could autonomous societies here in the U.S. And and I'm sure for folks who are listening now and for folks who will listen to this, this is the first time that y'all have heard about this information. Y'all could be 30, 40, 50, 60, I don't care how old y'all are. This is probably the first time y'all have heard about this information. In the summer of 1822, activity among armed runaway slaves was reported in Jacksonboro, South Carolina. Three were executed in July. In August, the governor offered a reward of $200 for the capture of about 20 Maroons in the same region. It is possible that these Negroes had been enlisted in the, he says, far-flung conspiracy of Denmark, V.C., and to that I say, fuck you, Richard Price, um, which was unfortunately uncovered and crushed in June of 1822. Why? Far-flung conspiracy. Why is it that African human beings fighting for freedom from an unjust system would be far-flung. And, and, and we already know that um, Caucasoid psychiatrists came up with terms for runaways. What was the term? Drapetomania <laughs> was a madness in the brain that was in, 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 in enslaved Africans. And, and you can look that up. I think it was Samuel Cartwright. <laughs> Was 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 the crack who came up with that? Drapetomania. You got to be crazy in the brain to want to run away and get your freedom from enslavement. That's some serious stuff right there. Being free isn't a, 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 a natural human thrust. Oh right, that's right. They didn't see us as humans. They saw us as property and chattel and goats and cows and pigs and stuff. So. To them, I guess it wouldn't be natural, but any runaway was, was labeled to have drapetomania, a, a mental condition of illness because you ran away from enslavement. And now even here, you get Richard Price. That, these are, that was his words. That wasn't a quote. That was his words, the far-flung conspiracy of Denmark Vesson. Alrighty then. Several one fifty nine. Several men had already been killed by these former slaves. One, a Mr. William Walker, very recently. This aroused great fear. Uh, no individual after this can consider his life safe from the murderous aim of these monsters in human shape. Everyone who has happily rendered himself obnoxious, obnoxious to their vengeance must indeed calculate sooner on sooner or later falling a victim to them. Wow. A large body of militia was ordered out to exterminate these outcasts and thus relieve the neighboring inhabitants from a state of perpetual anxiety and apprehension in which nothing can be more painful. Then during the next weeks, there were occasional reports of the killing or capturing of outlaws, culminating 
on June 15th, 1823, of, of the leader of this group. This is, um, I'm sorry, from Norfolk County, Virginia, um, Bob, what they called him, Bob Farabee. He had been an outlaw for six years, uh, and he was executed uh, July 25th, bastards. Uh, Now we mentioned this last week, and, and I just want to share that this is, this was not just peculiar to New Orleans. This was happened all over the place. It talks about um, in October of that year, runaway Negroes near Pineville, South Carolina, were attacked. Several were captured, at least, and at least two, a woman and a child, were killed. One of the maroons was decapitated and his head stuck on a pole and publicly exposed as a warning to vicious slaves. So, again, South Carolina, that happened. Uh, New Orleans, that happened. And even in the book, in, in American Uprising, he has a, a whole section, like I shared, called Head on Poles. And he talks about how that was a common practice to um, prevent revolts. But as, as I'm trying to outline here, while I'm sure in some of us it did prevent us from revolting, in others of us that gave us more impetus and strength to revolt, either to be like, you ain't putting my head on the pole, I'm getting out of here, or you just put one of my family members or countrymen's head on the pole, I'm going to kill you, Caucasoid. A maroon community consisting of men, women, and children was broken up by a three-day attack made by armed slaveholders of Mobile County or Mobile County, Alabama, in June 1827. The Negroes had been outlaws for years and lived entirely by, quote-unquote, plundering neighborhood plantations. At the time of the attacks, the Negroes were constructing a stockade fort. Had this been finished, it was believed that field slaves thus informed, would have joined them. Cannons would have then been necessary for their destruction. The Maroons made a desperate resistance, fighting like Spartans. Again, fighting like Spartans. We were fighting like the Zulu. We were fighting like the Asante. <laughs> we were fighting like those in the Congo. The reference, I mean, this is the white boy talking, but the reference doesn't always have to be to a European reality experience. Again, if we were writing this stuff, we would be, I, we would have, I, if I was writing it, we were fighting like the Zulus against the Britons. We were fighting, you know, like the Asante against the, 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 the Britons. You know what I'm saying? We would, that's, Malefia Asante is real good talking about location. And when you read stuff, if your African lens is on properly, just from reading stuff, you can tell the location of where the person is coming from, whether it's a Eurocentric analysis or an African analysis. And part of that location piece is the references that they use, not references as far as bibliography, but the, the markers that they use to create an analogy. 
like folks always want to analogize Harriet Tubman as the black Moses. But we only use that analogy because we use Christianity as our reference point. Wrongly. And so for me, Harriet Tubman is not the black Moses. Um, Harriet Tubman was a, a, a was The female Denmark VC, the, the 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 female Charles Delone, she was the female. You know, using the Africa centered lens, we would use a reference point within our historical memory. We would not use a reference point in someone else's historical memory. And so again, the white boy is writing, and so he says the Maroons were fighting like Spartans. But if we were writing it, we would have used a different um, historical reference point. Uh, three were killed, others wounded, and several escaped. Because of the poor arms or and ammunition of the Negroes, uh, one white, they say, was slightly wounded. Probably more, but only one decided to get accounted in the um, documentation, if you will. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't leave this one out. We're about to end. Um, Confederate Brigadier General R.F. Floyd asked Governor Milton of Florida, April 1862, to declare martial law in Nassau, Duver, Clay, Putnam, St. John, and Bolshia counties as a measure of absolute necessity as they contain a nest of traitors and lawless Negroes. Now check that out. In in Florida, how <laughs> Nassau, Duvar, Clay Putnam, St. John's and Voluse, V O L U S I A counties. So basically we was running and doing stuff in those five, six counties. So much so that the Brigadier General asked the governor to, to to declare martial law in those areas so they could quell the uprising. Again, we need more information about that. What was going on there? Wow, that's, that's kind of impressive. In October 1862, check this out, a scouting party of three armed whites investigating a maroon camp containing 100 men, women, and children in Surrey County, Virginia, were killed by these quote-unquote fugitives. So three white folks came to scout on the maroon folks that they asked to send it to them and, let, and went back in pine boxes. So, yes, so we'll wind up. With the ending paragraph of what Apdecker, I don't know if this is Apdecker or Price, this might be what Price had to say. The story of the American Maroons is of interest not only because it forms a fairly important part of the history of the South and of the Negro, 
but also because of the evidence it affords to show that the conventional picture of slavery as a more or less delightful patriarchal system is fallacious. The corollary of this fallacious picture, docile, contented slaves, is also, of course, seriously questioned. Indeed, taking this material on the rooms in conjunction with that recently with that recently presented on servile revolts leads one to assert that American slavery was a horrid system of tyrannical rule which often found it necessary to suppress ruthlessly the desperate expressions of discontent on the part of its outraged victims. We resisted, y'all. We have a long, long history of resistance, y'all. We really have to look at ourselves and ask, are we continuing that legacy or are we damning that legacy to hell? If you check out the YouTube clip of Mama Rimba, she has a little quick piece (laughs) where she mentions the, the, the... Obama accident No, excuse me, the Obama experiment That was an accident, they did a shit on purpose And She makes the, the statement For those of us who know our history Well We know not to be excited about that The goal Always has been Not about The vote Not about marching Not about protest it has always been about resisting this system. As I shared in in in, in the intro I did for the author last week, it, it, it was never about assimilating into the system or their way. It was never about integrating into and becoming president of the foreign way of life. It was always about tearing down and resisting the foreign way of life and then recreating our African way of life, our way. What I've tried to show with um, this resistance lecture series is that we have a long history of people who felt that way and acted on those feelings. And only, unfortunately, a few of us today presently are attempting to carry on the successful, resistance-minded Maroon legacy. We got duped in the 60s with the integration piece with the, the best way to fight the system is to fight within the system. That's some bullshit. You have to be properly nurtured by a right-minded community and you yourself be of a strong, strong will and mind to really, really be the spook who sat by the door, to be the one who's going to work within the system and not be mentally taken over by the system to fight against it. And as we see, before integration, 
there were a few folks who did get into certain positions and get into certain areas and then brought expertise back to community and brought monies back to the community. And 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 that's how if it had to be, that's how it's supposed to work. But then with immigration, you found that that really dried up. That mentality stopped. And folks started getting paid, and folks started moving out of the community and taking the skills out of the community. And then the community then got extra rundown and extra accessible to the heroin explosion that Caucasoids brought in, the crack cocaine explosion that Caucasoids helped to bring in. If folks are living um, reasonably well and their minds are right and their physical needs are met, more than more likely than not, you don't need the escapism of drugs to run your life. But when all quote unquote hope is gone, and and all uh, positive role models are gone, some people, unfortunately, too many of us have elected to take the drug route as um, a way of escaping the horrid situation. And Carcassonne's were more than happy. To supply them for us And still are But the idea of working Within the system to bring down the system Presently today Is 99.8% Bullshit Plain and simple Um, And anyone who says it more than likely, I'm leaving that 0.01%, but more than likely, they're feeding us a bunch of bullshit. And so when you hear those type of folks run from them, don't listen to them. From what we've shared over the past few weeks, it is about resisting, it is about fighting, it is about tearing down and simultaneously setting up your autonomous system, independent as best as you can from this crazy-ass system. Working within it, no, not today. Not with all this integration push and 250 channels telling you white folks are okay and and 50,000 <laughs> Internet Web pages and blog pages telling you why folks is okay, and, and this big integration push and uh, ads and all that sort of stuff that wasn't around back in the 40s and the 50s. No, working within the system is 99.8% bullshit. It was a lot easier for the maroon communities to understand that, the successful ones. It was a lot easier for them to understand that. And what I tried to share was information of the resistance of those that were a bit more successful than others um, in in hopes to spark resistance in your head. you got to fight this reality. You have to learn what the African worldview is. It's more than just Kevin. Damn it. <laughs> It's more than just kings and queens. It's more than just fighting against Caucasus. 
It is about recreating our reality our way from getting your individual self more within an African framework, sharing that information and creating an African family, finding other African families and creating a larger African community, then finding other communities that are doing the same thing you're doing and creating many MINI nations, which will then can possibly link up to create a nation. And that's how this global thing that we're talking about comes into fruition. Um, but it got to start with the individual transforming themselves first and then hooking up and sharing that information with the family, with the wife, with other receptive members in the family, and especially with the children. Resistance, resistance, resistance. Let our motto always be resistance. But then also let's make sure we build our African nation autonomous and independent of Europeans, European thought, and the European way of life. And that is what it'll take to get this liberation that we're talking about. So, yeah, so next week, our last two-hour show, we'll have a summary of this resistance lecture series. And then I'll probably put together something else for the last hour. I'll work on that. Like I said, February 6th, yeah, it will be the first show that will be only 30 minutes long. Again, it could just be a flat 30 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. You can hear it on the computer and then another 30 on the um if you call in, so we'll all find that out then. Um, but we're going to keep going. There's so much more information out there. There's so much more stuff I, I'm obligated to share. One of the first lessons that I learned is um, when, 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 when you have, you know, a lot of information, it's wrong for you to hoard it all to yourself. You are obligated to uh, share that with other people. Um, I will put a little asterisk on that and say you're obligated to share that information after you make it make some sense because I think we got too many blog talk folks who have been doing this one or two years and then they want to just go blabbing, blabbing and talk, and they haven't fully did a lot of reading. They haven't fully bounced it off of respected elders. They haven't, you know, fully made sense of it. And they're just talking. Um, you can go back and listen to my first show for my curriculum VT, if you, Vitae or whatever the damn Latin term is for it. I've been doing this for 17 years uh, consistently. Uh, been surrounded by magnificent elders for the entire 17 years, been a part of magnificent organizations to bounce these ideas off of. And while I'm smart enough to know I do not have all of the answers or the answer, I got a few ideas about some answers to these problems. 
solutions to these problems. Um, that the elders who grew me would vet, and so I'm, I'm share I'm sharing that information with other folks. Uh, ideally, to find other folks of like mind all throughout, but of course, initially finding folks who are here in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area, so we can then link up personally and figure out what we're going to do here and then hook up with the larger community of folks on Blog Talk who agree with that and then hook up with the larger community from there, larger group of individuals and families. So yeah. So Abibi Fahodie, Yebedi Inconem. That means total African liberation. We will be victorious. And I'm gonna try to remember that so I can say it every week. Yebedi Inconem. I just found that in my notes, and I'm like, ooh, I like that. Y e B E D I N K O N I M. And if you know Tree with the E's, they're not like the E's, E's, they're the, um, like the, the backward three E's, and so it's more like an E. So, Yebedi, Yebedi, Inconem, or probably Inconem. Yebedi, Yebedi, Inconem. We will be victorious. And a BB Fahodie, that's also true um, for for black liberation, total African liberation. So once again, I leave you a BB Fahodie, you bet income now. Total African liberation, we will be victorious. See you all next week. Peace and war.